0: I was worried it was getting a little dodgy in the middle part, but then that finale, (laughs) wow!
1: Hello, welcome to Two for One. This is the podcast where we talk about uh, two adaptations of the same material. And I'm David.
2: And I'm Claire. Today we're talking about Murder on the Orient Express, uh, the name of both movies, the first one being from 1974 and the second one being from 2017. The connection between these movies is their source material, the Agatha Christie novel from 1934, also named Murder on the Orient Express, which was inspired not only from Agatha Christie's journeys on that train, but also the kidnapping and murder of Charles Lindbergh's son, two years earlier in 1932 with actually a lot of parallels between what happened in reality and what happens to the child that is central to the story and the plot of these two films so let's get into it
1: yeah so just briefly the plot of the 1974 movie uh here poro is traveling from the middle east to london uh via istanbul and ends up taking uh a first-class cabin on the Orient Express booked by his friend and you know as happens on trains there is eventually a murder and it's up to him to figure out uh, who did it and meanwhile they're trapped in the mountains they're trapped in the snow and so tensions are running high and uh, there are yeah that's pretty much it
2: yeah exactly uh, the same plot for The new version as well, they both follow pretty much the same steps as the book. Some slight changes in character names, but otherwise very similar story structures here.
1: Yeah, and I think like the number of characters that are on the train, uh, fellow passengers in first class with Erkul Poro and the murder victim, I think the number is exactly the same.
2: Yeah, definitely in terms of, of the characters staying the same. There are slight name changes, and I think uh, one correction is that there's one fewer passenger in the new version. Because okay. they quite smartly, I think, take away the doctor character and just merge him with the colonel that was previously played by Sean Connery and in the newer version played by Leslie Odom Jr. Because, like, you don't need an extra doctor who was not, didn't happen to be on the car with the murder, so he was never a suspect. He's just.
1: Yeah, so. no. That's a that's a funny thing. Is in in these types of situations, it's always there's always some contrivance to make sure that you have a very limited pool of suspects. And in this case, they're all first class passengers trapped in uh, trapped on the train in the mountains. Uh, but you know, you kind of accept that with the territory. So why don't we get into uh, some of the things that we liked about each movie, some of the differences that we noticed. The motion picture teleplay was uh, respectful and
3: exhibited tastefulness and class. Who made you an expert all of a sudden? What do you think, Claire?
2: So, I think there's a couple different things to review in this story, starting with, well, I guess you could talk about the murder on the train and everything that happens in that story. But that only exists because previously, before the events of the movie happen, there's been the kidnapping and murder of a high-profile couple's child. And the way that that is presented, which then of course sets in motion everything that happens, it's presented very differently in the two movies. So I think that's a good starting point to sort of explaining how these movies end up being pretty different. So, in the 1974 version, which I would say presents it better, Mm -hmm. they start the whole movie out with, you know, the spinning newspaper headlines of this child's been kidnapped, along with Spliced In with like, momentary scenes of the kidnapping of the child. Yeah,
1: meant to look like newsreel footage, essentially.
2: Honestly, it's done, it's terrifying the way it does it. It's like, it'll flicker for a second or flash. It it looks, I mean, you feel like you're signing up for a horror film in that first couple moments of the movie.
1: Yeah, and honestly, I think that's that's a great uh, distinction to make because the 1974 version does begin with that, And we don't get that context in the 2017 version. Uh, 2017 begins with Poirot solving a murder in Jerusalem, I believe, and then basically hopping on the train, um, at which point one of the other passengers asks him for protection and says, you know, I'm worried that I'm going to be attacked. I need someone to actually be my bodyguard until we get to London. And Poirot doesn't like the guy. The guy is played by Johnny Depp. Uh, he says no. He basically tells him to fuck off. And this character, Johnny Depp's character, Cassetti, ends up murdered. Um, and then throughout the rest of the story, you get the, you get the background on this kidnapping, on the the crime that set all of these events into motion. But in the 1974 version, you're already aware of that. You have the background knowledge that basically it's expected that Poirot and all of the other characters in the movie already have. He's always reminding people, "Do you do you know this name? Do you know the name? Have you mm-hmm. did you hear about this case?" And pretty much they're all like, "Yeah, I I know what you're talking about." So instead of us learning about that during the movie, it's set up in a way that we already have that information.
2: Yeah, which I think is so important. I mean, honestly, I think both movies start in a, a way that grabs your attention. I actually really enjoyed the the Jerusalem murder, or was it murder, whatever crime he was solving that was ended up being unrelated to the movie itself in the newer 2017 version, but. Actually, starting with the kidnapping in the 1974 version, like you are saying, you already have that information before it becomes relevant to solving the murder. Whereas in the 2017 version, everything David just said happens. You're leading up to it. Finally, Johnny Depp's character, oh, he's been murdered, okay, oh my gosh, stuff is happening, we gotta solve it. Wait, pause, let's give you background information about this kidnapping Mm -hmm. and murder. It's like it's the wrong moment to introduce something and it's such a serious thing to introduce too. I think the the horror of it all was, was much more impactful in the 74 version. So I just think that was done better for it being such a central thing. Honestly, when we watched the newer version the first time, we were just like, so how does he know about this child kidnapping? How does he know that Cassetti was Cassetti? Cause he's going by like an alias on the train. Um, it's just it's it's too much information all at once in the in the two thousand and seventeen version.
1: So. yeah, and actually I think it'll be helpful as we get into some of the bigger differences to outline a few of the characters uh, that that are on the train.
2: Everyone on the train is connected to the murder of this child in some way. What happened is the child is kidnapped. Um, The family decides to pay the ransom, but then the child turns out to have been murdered. In all of these events that fall out from that, the mother is so distraught that she has a miscarriage and dies. Um, The husband then has lost his, his child, his wife, and his unborn baby. He ends up committing suicide, and then also a maid who is implicated in the kidnapping, ended up being innocent. Um, I think she has a different name in the two movies, but I know in the newer version, her name is uh, Suzanne, but she also kills herself because the fact that everybody thinks that she was involved was was so much. So basically you've got a lot of people who have died and everyone on the train is connected in some way, either to the original child who had been killed and her family, or to the maid who also killed herself. So you've got people like the governess, the nurse, uh, chauffeur and valet for the father because he was the celebrity, right? He was some, like, important military person, pilot. Um, so basically everyone's connected in, in some way or another.
1: Yeah, and because this is Poirot and it's Agatha Christie and the way this movie is made, everybody is basically a celebrity. Uh, you know, you have kind of an all-star cast in both movies. So, if we start with the older version, the 1974 version, we've got Sean Connery. He plays uh, uh, an army veteran. Ingrid Bergman plays basically a missionary,
2: and she won best supporting actress for she this did. Movie.
1: Yeah, and I wanna I wanna come back to her in a second because she was she was you know a standout uh, for for a couple different reasons.
2: We also have. And I'm going to want to talk about him more later, but Anthony Perkins, famously from Psycho, mm-hmm. uh, playing Hector McQueen, uh, So, and then Lauren Bacall. I think those are... Unless and, I'm showing my ignorance of famous older actors, I would say those are the big names.
1: No, those are the big names. Michael York is also, uh, he's also pretty famous. People probably of our generation might know him as Basil Exposition from Austin Powers, but... He was in, uh, uh, what's that terrible sci-fi movie? I don't know what it is, but it was terrible. Logan's Run. I think that's him. Uh, and uh, he's pretty good in the movie as uh, as the, the Count. He's a foreign diplomat. And of course, Poirot, we haven't even mentioned, we'll get into this, his performance, but he's played by Albert Finney. And I think he's probably more famous now for... You know, Claire loves big fish. He's mm-hmm. the father in that movie. He's uh,
2: which I would not have realized if you hadn't pointed it out while we were. Watching oh yeah,
1: it. totally unrecognizable to modern audiences. I would say, at least this modern audience that only knows him as you know, kind of an older guy. Well,
2: and let's also say in Murder on the Orient Orient Express, his hair has so much gel in it. Well, it's a ridiculous. Portrayal. I think.
1: Well, <laughs> let's let's get into his like whole characterization, which I think. Is partially acting and partially hair. We'll, <laughs> it's a lot Well, we'll just hair. like take that when we get to it. Um, but let's just go through the cast of the uh, the 2017 version.
2: No supporting actor winners in the 2017 version.
1: No, no, not. But still like an all star cast. I mean, we already mentioned that uh, Cassetti, who is the murder victim who actually had set these events in motion, uh, he's played by Johnny Depp. Uh, Penelope Cruz in this one is the missionary Uh, Leslie Odom is I guess a doctor and also an army friend
2: right he's like we said earlier the The, the same character as Sean Connery
1: yeah Uh, who else do we have Michelle Pfeiffer of course Uh, she's sort of the matriarch of of the family Um, and she's great as always
2: right she's the Lauren Bacall character
1: yeah Daisy Ridley She's in it. That's She's all I have it. to say Would about not that. Not have
2: known it was her.
1: <laughs> no, I identified her, but like you know, I don't know. She's not my favorite or anything. Josh Gad is uh, Hector McQueen. He's the uh, analog to Anthony Perkins, um, who I, I thought both of them were very good in their roles. Olivia Coleman. This is sort of right around the time that she was breaking out. Uh, Just as,
2: before, obviously, famous to you and me. Yeah. Peep show. <laughs> well,
1: yeah, for yeah, she she's great. Um, but I think she has since become kind of a bigger star and almost like a perennial. Oh, right.
2: She would have had a much bigger role, I think.
1: Yeah, and I think now Although
2: I would say the same with Willem Dafoe, he's famous, but he his role is so minor in this
1: But movie. he he does he goes up and down with Goofy, you know, he does silly mm-hmm. movies, he does big movies and small movies. He does he does everything. But uh yeah, I think in these movies, you know, there's there's not room for everybody to have a, an enormous role. And, you know, that's kind of fun. Uh, just to round this out, we have Judy Dench. Uh, she is, uh, I guess, an exiled Russian princess. Right, she is, is that a the princess. Right word? I
2: don't... <laughs> yes.
1: I think there is no Russian monarchy at this time, so it's hard to uh, say exactly what her position is or how she can still go around calling herself princess, but... Uh, that's that's what she's doing and then of course Poirot is Kenneth Brenna who also directed the movie and would go on to direct uh the sequel Death on the Nile and presumably when they make other sequels to that movie if they get made he's gonna continue to play Poirot and potentially continue to direct so yeah I mean what else what else is there that we need to get into
2: well which cast having gone over who's in which one which cast did you like better
1: Probably the old cast. I don't know. Like I think. No, I agree. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, I think like Judy Dench is great, but like doesn't really need to be in this movie. Like I didn't think that role was a standout role for anybody. You know.
2: Honestly, I think part of it is because I could have said the same about a couple of mm-hmm. actors in the new version. Well,
1: even Olivia Colman, I feel like. You know, I liked her scene, but she's in like one scene, and it's not—it mm-hmm. doesn't stand out to me really.
2: I almost wonder if these being the celebrities of our generation, if that makes it like too distracting. Whereas when we watch the older versions, just like, wow, these guys are great actors, <laughs> you
1: know. Yeah, and I wonder, like, with a guy like Leslie Odom Jr., where I—I I don't know him from much, but then when you figure out that it's Burr. Right. You you expect him to just be belting it every <laughs> every time he shows up on screen. So, yeah, that can be a little distracting. Uh, I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer, obviously, is amazing. Oh, she's amazing. No.
2: But the thing is, I just love Michelle Pfeiffer. I don't know if, like...
1: <laughs> yeah, know. but, like, she, she walks the line of, like, crazy, you know, po- possibly past the point of crazy... I feel like she she kinda lives in that zone and mm-hmm. is, is really good at it. You know, Daisy Daisy Ridley I could take her leave. Willem Defoe, his character is a little strange. Yeah, I mean, you know, good cast. I think Johnny Depp, if you if you did listen to the Death on the Nile episode, it's kind of the same thing with Gal Gadot, where They chose a victim that...
2: you can believe that everybody everybody
1: hates, you know? Uh, And, you know, you have to believe that everybody has a reason to want to kill them because otherwise there's no mystery. And Johnny Depp plays that really well. He's, for the brief time that he's in the movie, he is a total asshole at at every opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is great, you know?
2: You know, and I said when we were watching it, Johnny Depp's just done so many different roles now. And he's doing an accent in this movie. And I'm just like, oh, he's got a great American accent. <laughs> I'm yeah. remembering he's, oh, he's American.
1: He's doing his, like, Chicago gangster yeah, it's, accent. You're it's, the
0: world-famous detective,
1: Hercule Poirot. Silly, but it's all right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think we both agree that despite that being a good cast, I think the older cast is, is a little better. Um, I, I think the standouts, like we mentioned, Ingrid Bergman and just like she has one scene in particular. Uh, basically, in, in the 1974 version, each of the characters does an interrogation scene with Poirot, and that's kind of their their moment to shine, and Ingrid Bergman's is amazing.
0: But I I see that you have spent uh, three
3: months in America. We were not able to improve. I was um, I, I international group. Um, uh, for getting money for um, African mission yeah. from American rich, um, I, I speak Swedish uh, uh, to big audiences in um, in Swedish American institution, in Minneapolis and uh, other big cities. In ten weeks we make um, um, $14,000 dollars and and 27 cents.
1: 21. Honestly, this is almost embarrassing, but I was looking at her the whole time and I I, I was trying to figure out if it was Isabella Rossellini. Okay. And then days later it occurred to it occurred to us that Isabella Rossellini is Ingrid Bergman's daughter, and yeah. I felt like a little bit vindicated for that that bit of <laughs> stupidity. But yeah, I mean, she was really great, and like clearly her character is a little bit off her rocker, I would say. Yes. Uh, but she, she is great at, at just conveying the emotion of, uh, of someone who's, who's gone through all this trauma. Um, anyone else standing out to you in terms of the old cast? Well,
2: I know you wanted to get into your thoughts on Albert Finney, so what are your thoughts?
1: Okay, uh, I think he was a little strange. I think Mm -hmm. it was weird.
2: What was weird about him?
1: Uh, What his idea of the character was. He was just doing very weird mannerisms Mm -hmm. and sort of like laughing to himself about like everything that was going on. He was so giggly. He was like very giggly, but like not in a way that. not in like an endearing way because he's not giggling to anybody else. He's giggling to himself. And uh, he sort of has a relationship with the. Uh, The person who actually books him on the train, but everybody else he doesn't really establish a relationship with until He's interrogating them for murder Um, The exception being Cassetti who then is the murder victim Uh, He doesn't really interact with with people all that much It's it's just strange. It's like almost like he, he He's not as social as you would expect I think, you know, because I think that Poirot in essence, has to be. In a keen observer of people, and to do that, you have to, be a social person. And he doesn't really have that. He just—he seems very antisocial and very, uh, unto himself. Hmm. I don't know. That—that's just the impression that I got.
2: No, that's—I hear what you're saying, and <laughs> I definitely agree with the sort of like awkwardness and the giggliness. The one part that stuck out to me was when they first find the dead body. And he has his friend uh, who shows up, his book in the new version, I think his name is Bianchi in the old version, and he goes, oh, if you need to, like, poof poof or whatever, he uses some, like, little cutesy name for throwing up, oh, and he yeah. goes, like, oh, if you need to poof 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 in the hallway, like,
0: oh, dear, I'm if you must go whoop whoop, please go whoop whoop, not to windward, but to leeward, helping Pierre.
2: Yeah. Which is another thing, the accent that he's doing, and that everyone's doing in the older version, it was often very difficult for me to follow what exactly they're saying. <laughs> like when he started saying peep instead of pipe, it was just some interesting, uh, you know, character creations yeah. through the accents.
1: Yeah, it was. there was a whole conversation where uh, Poirot pronounces the word pipe as peep, and then Sean Connery's character just goes with it. And yeah, calls after it, having
2: said pipe previously. Yeah, <laughs>
1: like, and then for the next five minutes, every time they're talking about his pipe cleaner, they just say the peep cleaner. <laughs> and it's like, why are they... It's just, yeah. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but, but it's, it's kind of funny.
2: I, I feel like I need to, to present an opposing view about Albert Finney's Poirot. I think I did not like him at first. He was the third actor I'd seen play Poirot, and I think it should be noted that the 1974 version is not part of a series. This is his only time ever playing this character. Am I correct in that?
1: Yeah, I think so.
2: Yeah, so um, so at first I think I just I wasn't ready for him and there were things that I didn't like about him, but I think as he gets deeper into the interrogations, and especially when he has his final confrontation with Sean Connery's love interest, uh, the, the person who turns out to be the governess, he does that scene, Great. I mean, I think you can really tell that he knows what he's doing mm-hmm. because Paro is doing two things there. He is talking to the governess, but he's also making it look like he's like attacking her from Sean Connery's point of view because he knows what he's really trying to do is get Sean Connery's ire in order to have him show up and finally tell him the truth. And yeah. I think that's a difficult that's a tall order and I think that it was very clear what was going on in that scene
1: yeah and I think there were a few scenes like that where the interrogation was serving dual purposes um, and he was able to m- manipulate people really well and I think it's not necessarily Albert Finney's performance but I think in particular the the interrogation scene you're talking about just the way that the movie was shot and the way that the way that the script was written and and everything I think it It was just very effective and and albert finney you know i i don't want to say it was like a terrible performance but i think it has less to do the things that succeeded about the movie had less to do with this performance than i think uh the direction
2: and i was just thinking the same thing to pull off a scene like that i almost even said it at the time that 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 could be more a compliment to the director
1: yeah sydney Lumet. yeah Mm -hmm. which we hadn't mentioned before but directed by sydney sydney lamette Um, And, yeah, I mean, the last thing I'll say about Albert Finney is, I think, uh, well, I'll say two more things. One thing, uh, Agatha Christie, I think, thought he was miscast. But I looked up what she said and it seemed like she was mostly mad about his mustache (laughs) or lack of mustache. Okay. So, I, I don't know if she, you know, she might not have been particularly invested in in actually caring whether uh this was a good movie and maybe it was just like a superficial comment but just wanted to note that she was not enthralled by him um but yeah the other thing that i i actually did like about him is he he seems like excited in like a weird way by all of the clues and even the crime itself he's like almost giddy Mm -hmm. when when things are happening uh and doesn't really show a lot of genuine um concern for like what's happening he he seems just more excited by it than anything else and i think that's kind of an interesting take you know that's an interesting thing that uh i don't think kenneth brenna's character does kenneth brenna likes to be smarter than people and he likes to to figure it out but he doesn't seem to Take a—he doesn't seem to get a thrill from the crime itself the way Albert Finney's character did.
2: Yeah, I think his character, uh, the the one played by Kenneth Bernard has some quote about solving crimes that he's just trying to look at what evidence is there and then find the balance that that must be the truth. I mean, I'm I'm butchering the quote.
3: I have the advantage. I can only see the world as it should be. And uh, when it is not the imperfection, stands out like uh, the nose in the middle of a face. It it makes most of life
1: unbearable. But it is useful in the detection of crime.
2: He has a very different idea of how Poirot yeah. you know, and approaches
1: they were, these things. They were trying to insert like a, a sort of character theme for him of you know, seeing what was out of balance or what was out of place. Mm -hmm. And then that's how he solves the crimes. Yeah.
2: So it's less a thrill for him and more like a a compulsion. compulsion. Yeah. Yes. Compulsion.
1: Yeah. Um, No, I think that's, I think that's exactly right. And I think that, uh, you know, Kenneth Branagh really want, he, he wants this movie to be about Poirot. And I think to do that, he wanted to make Poirot less of a shitty person Right. But it which but, you,
2: you would have to do to right. make you care about Poirot. I
1: think so, yeah. And and I think Albert Finney is just like this I don't I don't know what the fuck is going. <laughs> like I don't even know what he's doing, but
2: yeah.
1: I don't even know if you're supposed to like his version of Poirot.
2: Yeah. Well, and I think that's fine cuz I think that makes sense for the character. So, yeah. but there's one other character I want to talk about before we go back to sort of overarching story elements, and that is Hector McQueen who is traveling with the murderer Cassetti uh, who's going by the alias Ratchet Um, and in the old version he is played by Anthony Perkins in the newer version he is played by Josh Gad he is to me one of the most confusing characters Mm. why exactly is he connected to the murder I'm not even honestly I've seen both these movies (laughs) I'm not sure if it's the same in both movies I think it's the same
1: I think his father
2: was a lawyer was
1: the prosecutor who was going to um put Cassetti away and he essentially was either run out of his office or bought off or something like that and um and basically blew the case and and let
2: that's right found a
1: scapegoat I think
2: the maid right right because I know the Josh Gad character, he's very caught up on feeling responsibility for the maid who killed herself. But I think I, I I'm not sure if he's he's certainly a lawyer, but I'm not sure if he was the prosecutor in the or, or if there's some slight difference. But in any case, he definitely has the farthest connection to this family. Than anyone else on the train. Who we've got like godmothers and sisters and everyone. And then we've just got this guy. Yeah. <laughs> who's like and father represented you.
1: I-, I think where you're going with this, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. But I think Josh Gad's version of the character, you're entirely right, had nothing, nothing to do with the family. Except for this connection through his father. Right? Right. And then Anthony Perkins did have a personal connection with, I believe, the...
2: The mother. The mother of the, the child who had... No, not... The grandmother. Yeah. Right. Because obviously the mother died uh, during the miscarriage. So it right. was the, the grandmother who later is... Really and like, Lauren Bacall.
1: this is an aside, but I couldn't tell if they were trying to do like a, like a psycho thing and have him be like obsessed with her as his mother... <laughs> Did you pick up on that? Because there was a whole scene where they were like, was she like a mother to you? And he was like, kind of. And he's got like this really creepy like look.
2: Well, see, this is the thing. I think that it was weird that that's what they went with. More than like any feeling of guilt or anything. Mm-hmm. That it's just like, I just loved this woman so much. As, like you're saying, as a mother figure. Mm-hmm. And it is weird. I wasn't getting psycho things at the time. Um, that's because... I hadn't honestly made the psycho connection until after we watched it. But I was very struck by his presence and I think I see what you're saying about it being creepy, but I feel like it was just someone with such internal conflict and everything, like afraid to to speak up and everything. Like there's this is a like traumatized child who's now a, a grown man and mm-hmm. I I think it's a it's a character that you can be very Flexible with you can go in tons of different directions. Um, yeah, he matters because the first night that Poirot's on the train, uh, this is the character that Poirot shares a room with. Um, so he's sort of like right under Poirot's, you know, watchful eye. And so I think uh, everything that Anthony Perkins brings to the character made him interesting to me. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, but then Josh Gad. Who I like, Trashcan. I, I was about I have to really say like, the same thing. No, I don't. I didn't. I didn't really like him. And and he's got this whole thing where he's running away from the train at one point. Like he seems like he's supposed to be an important character, but again, he's a confusing character. I don't really know. You he know doesn't. I don't think involved.
1: he has the same level of depth that the Anthony Perkins version did.
2: Yeah, like they're they're giving his character a lot of screen time. Like I said, when, when he's running away, and then of course his scenes with Praro uh, in the same car as him, but then, yeah, he just lacks this depth. So, I just was disappointed uh, in in the newer version of that character. Um, so, I, I think the reason I bring him up is just because he was so different. Like, I know you were complimenting Ingrid Bergman earlier for her portrayal of this you know, nurse who's sort of lost it after the 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 tragedy occurred. But I think Penelope Cruz also clearly comes across as a woman who has lost it. You know, so I think mm-hmm, yeah. most of the other characters like there's similarities enough, but that Hector McQueen character was so different in the two movies. And I, I got to give it to Anthony Perkins.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Um, I think we should maybe cut to the chase and. Reveal who who done it? Yeah, who did in it? In case in case you haven't figured it out yet, the fact that everybody on this fucking train knows this uh, murder victim and has been affected that should maybe tip you off that this isn't like a coincidence. Um, and as it turns out, everybody did it,
2: which is a great reveal. Like, well,
1: okay, so here's the thing. I think I I had seen the 2017 version first. And I, I think I was very... I was less than whelmed by the reveal at the end of that movie. Because at the end of that movie, is sort of presented as... Quarrow has figured it out. And he like makes this big dramatic show of how nobody individually could have done it. And it was everybody. And it's this big twist. And you're really just supposed to be impressed that, that he figured it out? I, I don't know. Um and I don't know, that ending sort of didn't do it for me and I think the older version in, in 1974 they, it's the same plot everybody did it but instead of the big turning point being Poirot figured it out it's sort of like a slow build to knowing that everybody is a participant in this and it's almost like the reveal is sort of a moral it's like a cathartic moment you know that yeah. like seeing seeing everybody and realizing that they've come together to make this decision jointly and that they pulled it off it actually like it that's the end of the movie and and not you know the revealing who did it does that make sense
2: absolutely i think there's a couple reasons for that i think one of the main ones goes back to what we said earlier the 74 version the first thing you learn is that this terrible thing happened. Mm-hmm. So you want that catharsis, you know? Mm-hmm. And in the new version, like, yeah, I, I agree. It's it's just, it doesn't hit the same.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, there's a few of the interrogations sort of hint at how it's going to end, not just that everybody did it, but uh, in particular I'm thinking of Sean Connery's character, who very explicitly talks about uh, the jury trial process and how having 12 people come together and make a decision and dole out judgment that's the way that things should be done and he says it very you know mid-conversation it's not something that you would necessarily like immediately pick up on but as soon as it's over and I think the movie comes back to it you know you realize he was talking about what, the, what was actually happening on the train and what had happened before they got on the train when this group of people came together and made this decision and carried it out? All of the people, I, I think that's sort of emblematic of the way that all the characters in the 1974 version, they're not really acting. They're not like pretending to be someone else necessarily. I mean, some of them, you know, are literally doing that, like Anthony Perkins' character. basically lied to get a job with Cassetti so that he could work for him and Mm -hmm. be on this train but they're not really lying about their motivations to Poirot they're not really hiding anything or they're not hiding it very well because that's not really what they're there to do they did what they're there to do and everything else is just like trying to get away with it if possible but like I don't think that some of them I, I think just do not care Really, whether they get away with it.
2: Well, I think uh, I think it's a little different from what you're saying because they certainly tried to hide it, but it's like a slapshot, you know, job. Right. Because they thought that they had booked every room on this train and that there wouldn't be anybody. Even the conductor's in on it. He ends up being the father right. of of the maid who had who had killed herself. So when Pravo ends up on this train. That's when they suddenly need to stay in character. Like, people like uh, Lauren Bacall's character, she is going by a different name, Mrs. Hubbard, the whole time, which she had gotten to hide the fact that she was not bedridden, right, as she had been claiming. But then they, yeah, they have to be keeping this charada that they hadn't expected to have to do. And one thing that I love about the 1974 version is that that is explicit, that they hadn't been yeah. expecting to be doing this, and that's why some of them did a really bad job yeah. in interrogation. I think we
1: both loved uh, the one guy who, there, he, he has a whole interrogation, and then at the end, Poro asks him a question, basically asking him whether he'd ever worked for, uh, for the family.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, He's like, have you ever driven as a chauffeur?
1: And the guy just goes, No! Yeah, just... And ten minutes later, Poirot's like, yeah, you guys are all really bad at lying, (laughs) and, you know, you just, you remember like things like that. And
2: it's so good, because, yeah, Poirot calls him out specifically for that, and then he goes, so why do I have all these people giving such bad alibis and everything? And someone off screen, which I love that it's not someone on camera, just shouts out, maybe they weren't expecting to have to lie to you. Yeah. And it's like, yes, they weren't expecting it. And
1: Poirot's like, thank you, I'm glad somebody said it. <laughs> yeah. Literally he, he says literally
2: it. He literally says that. Um, so it is. it is, it's that mixed with the, I think that's part of what brings the catharsis. They're like, yeah, we didn't want to have to be putting on this mm-hmm. show. Like, you being here totally screwed us over. But now you see what we did, and the way you're presenting it to us, you're understanding why we did it. So I think it's just, it's very different. Yeah, um,
1: it's, it's almost like, I don't know, I don't want to say it's not presented as a murder mystery, because it definitely still is. But it's, it's just a little different, because I think the, the heart of the movie isn't really finding out who did it, but like understanding what connects all these people. And you start to understand that over the course of the movie you know after the murder occurs um but i think like the depth of the connection and like the the detail of of the actual plan and you know the the dedication that they all have uh you just you start to understand that and so by the time Poirot gets up and makes his big speech you pretty much already know right yeah or you're you at ready least for it yeah you're ready for it you know and and then you have a scene where we we flash back to the night of the murder, and it shows them taking turns. Uh,
2: and it's, and that is a scene that's in both movies. Them taking turns, it is. but it's done very differently.
1: Yeah, in the two versions. And I, I think in, in 1974, it's it is like a cathartic moment, and
2: because they're literally saying, as each one takes the knife to stab Cassetti, they each say who they're doing it for. Yeah. So they'll be like, "For my friend," right? That's what. Sean Connery says because he was the pilot's friend, but right. then other people say for my goddaughter
1: or whatever. Right. And it
2: does get repetitive when it's like you've got a nurse yeah, and a three, governess yeah. and a cook. <laughs> but, and it,
1: it's like a a two three minute long single shot yeah, scene.
2: Let it take its time.
1: Um, yeah. So yeah, you know, you might you might think it's it's a little too long, but I do think it's it's a cathartic moment. And in the 2017 version, it's it's almost presented like
2: there's no dialogue. First of all
1: yeah it yeah i mean so basically you just see everybody stabbing him Mm -hmm. um and you sort of you understand now like okay everybody did it but that's the way it's presented it's like here's how it happened Mm -hmm. and that's not what's interesting about the scene in 1974 what's Mm -hmm. interesting about the scene is that it's the culmination of of everything that you've learned about this this crime uh and in 2017 it's just like and Poirot figured it out. Everybody did it, and I don't think that there's really anything. I didn't feel anything like was going on aside from just solving the murder, which Poirot, of course, did. Um, so yeah, you can give him a pat on the back for doing that, but there's not there, there's no emotional content to it.
2: Well, and the thing is that there is other stuff going on, but it's not related to the ensembles reactions. It has to do with Poirot being like, am I going to turn you in or yeah. not? And then the movie keeps going. You yeah. know what happens after the reveal in 1974? They all pop a glass of champagne and everybody walks by the grandmother who lost her daughter and her grandchildren and they all, you know, they, they clink toast, glasses. Yeah. And that's all you want to see after the reveal scene. Poirot says, I'm not turning you in. Like,
1: yeah, so I, I think just to be clear, the difference is that in 1974, Poirot gathers them all in, uh, I guess, the dining car and tells them there's two possibilities. I repeat. A repulsive murderer has
0: himself been repulsively and perhaps deservedly murdered. But in which of the two ways that I have suggested? In the simpler way by the mafioso disguised as a wagon reconductor? Or in the more complex way that I have just outlined? Which involves many questions and, of course, considerable scandal. Sen. Bianchi, it is for you, as the director of the line, to choose a solution that we shall offer to the police at Brad. Though I confess, I am in two minds. Though I... I think the police at Brad would uh, prefer the simplicity of the first solution. Here,
3: here.
1: gives them a second and he says but i think what happened is option a right Mm -hmm. someone snuck onto the train and then escaped and so there's no real moment of of doubt that poirot knows he's doing the right thing and i mean whether or not it's the right thing you know that i think that's up for debate but definitely in this in this movie's presentation poirot doesn't he doesn't leave you hanging he makes his decision, but in the 2017 version, he gathers them all. There's a weird, like Last Supper scene where all of the people are sitting at this long table in the snow for inexplicable.
2: Yeah, why aren't they in the the train? Yeah,
1: <laughs> just so they could have a long supper.
2: Yeah, well, you know, I love a Last a Supper, supper long but table, table yeah, shot. Yeah, yeah. It's silly.
1: <laughs> um, I, yeah, that that's a little silly. But then there's the reveal is basically set up the same either someone did this or all of you guys did this and then like you said there's a whole another couple scenes after that where he's deliberating oh what's the right thing to do what's the right thing to yeah, do I think,
2: like gives them a pistol
3: they're not killers they're good people they couldn't be good again there was right there was wrong Now there is you. I cannot judge this. You must decide. You wish to go free without punishment for your crime. Then you must only commit one more. I will not stop you. You can't let them kill you. You give my body to the lake. And you walk away innocent at the station. You must silence me. Book can lie. I cannot. DO IT! ONE OF YOU! I already died with Daisy. No!
2: Pfeiffer is like, oh I'll just kill myself, but then it wasn't loaded. Why are we doing all this?
1: Yeah, there's just a lot and I think like it it just shifts the focus so like ever so slightly. Exactly. And I think takes away from the emotion of the movie. And I, I think like maybe this movie didn't need to have emotional resonance like that, but once you see a version that does have that, mm-hmm. you you wonder why it was removed from yeah the 2017 version and I think you know not to be too hard on Kenneth Brennan, but I think he wants it to be so much more about Poirot and not about the other character's journey their collective journey Mm -hmm. Um, that the climax of the movie has to be the twist and then Poirot's decision about what to do you know and rather than the focus being on actually the climax already happened and this is just this is just all catharsis, yeah. right? Um, so that's what I think the major,
2: mm-hmm. the
1: major difference in the ending is.
2: I'll add one, um, just my, my only criticism of the 74 versions. And I think this has much more to do with the era of filmmaking that it was a part of. But when he's doing the reveal, and I think you mentioned this, he brings up specific things that they said and then it will always flash back to that moment that we saw earlier, mm-hmm. but at this point in, in movie making, you know the audience, they, they just saw that. <laughs> you right. don't need to show me it again. I remember that that happened. So that, that sort of chunked up the reveal a little bit and added to the the lengthiness of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm as I said, I love the reveal scene. That's just my one sort of modern criticism of the way it was put together.
1: Yeah, I think that's much more common in older movies is that you need to see it again and it's like you can't just take a, take your word for it that hey remember when i said this it's like <laughs> all right maybe i don't remember but like i'll take your word for right. it i don't need to see it again that's not going to make me feel like i remember it if i didn't so yeah i don't think that's necessary but yeah. yeah i think i think we're in agreement i mean i guess we should just talk about officially which one we would want to re- recommend
3: in many ways the work of a critic is easy we risk very little, yet enjoy a position over those who offer up their work and their selves to our judgment.
2: All right, you go first, because i, I got to hear your opinion and then decide if I agree with you or not.
1: <laughs> I, I mean, like I said when I saw the 2017 version, I don't think I loved it. I loved, uh, I, I really enjoyed the first half of the movie, everything up to the murder of Johnny Depp. And I thought the ending kind of fell apart. And I think I didn't realize why until I saw the 1974 version. But I think seeing that version, at least for me, I sort of realized that the story wasn't necessarily Poirot's story. And that shifting the focus to Poirot emptied it emotionally or took, took the heart out of it a little bit. And it just seems like kind of a shell of a story. Because, yeah, you go back to 1974, and it's almost uh, it, it's, it's almost exactly the same, but it feels like a completely different re- movie by the time you get to the end. So I, I would have to say, if, if someone's asking, I would I would recommend the 1974 version. But that being said, you know, it's not flawless. I don't really—I still don't understand what Albert Finney is doing or who did his hair. <laughs> um, I think Agatha Christie didn't like his mustache. I don't know. Maybe there was a mustache problem. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I don't understand what he's doing. So it's not. It's not necessarily perfect. Um, but that. That's what I would recommend.
2: Yeah, I think I gotta agree. 1974.
1: What can I tell you, kid? You're right.
3: When you're right, you're right. You're right.
2: Honestly, I don't think. I don't think I have a super strong recommendation for either. I certainly enjoyed both of these movies, but neither of them are a movie that I would immediately tell someone they gotta watch. Um, But between the two, I'd say, yeah, watch the 1974 version. I think it's a great story, though, which is the thing. I think it... it, I'm ready for it to be done again. Which is the last thing we talk about. Um, How would we make the newer, better, brighter version of Murder on the Orient Express? The most scathingly brilliant
1: idea. Yeah, well, if you again, if you go back to our episode on Death on the Nile, I think I mentioned that I didn't think it was necessarily Kenneth brenna's acting that is holding his Poirot back, but maybe it's his uh, his his focus on Poirot as a character, and you can have Kenneth Branagh be Poirot, but pull back a little bit and, and take in more of the, the big picture of, you know, the the atmosphere, the themes of the specific story that aren't related to Poirot, uh, you know, the cast is always going to be super important. So, I don't know, you know, I think maybe having, I don't know, I, I really like the 1974 version. I don't like Al- Albert Finney, so I think if you could just swap him out, you know, and maybe if they had done it with Peter Ustinov, who played Poirot in... Mm-hmm in Death on the Nile, um, the, the older version, uh, 1978. I think that could have been, I uh, that, I mean, I think I would have loved it. I think that would have, that would have been just, a, an amazing movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like Albert Finney, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's a good actor, you know, but I, I, I think he's a little distracting from the story in this movie in a different way than Kenneth Brenna is. I think, uh, Albert Finney is out of place, just just a little a little strange, uh, and, and distracting. I, I can't really describe it.
2: No, I know what you mean. And I, I understand what you're saying, that like as far as presenting this story, taking the nineteen seventy four version and changing the Poirot would would be a pretty great adaptation. But I'm gonna say something kind of I think this is gonna be uh, you know, controversial take. Because I think when you have a source material, especially for a mystery, changing things about it can make it really messy. But I think this is just such a, a big, and when I say big, I mean there's so many people like, that I think it could be trimmed down um, and still hit the same result. Like, I don't, I'm sure there needs to be 12 people, you know, and I like the quote about the jury too. But I'm sure it needs to be that many people because that's how many people the Orient Express, you know, had in a... Oh, in a
1: well, car. I don't think that matters, but...
2: And But I think that's that's, like, one of the constraints that they were working in. But honestly, if it was just, like, seven or eight people who did it, you know, or however many... How many people did it? Whatever. If it could be less, that would be great. Again, you've got a nurse, a governess, and a cook. Can they all be the same character, you know? And I know that 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 can really mess with a mystery, but like we said in the newer version they did combine the doctor and the colonel into one character, unnoticeably, right? Mm-hmm. Like you don't miss the doctor because he's suddenly also another character. So I think in order to track everyone's connection to it, like and maybe that's me not understanding the way families rich families you know, operated at that time, that it was a whole household, yeah. I mean, devoted to the child.
1: It's also, you know, partially I think it's a numbers thing, and partially I think you're right that it's like, well, this is the mother, this is the godmother, this is the other mother, and it's like I mm-hmm. don't know who, like, it, like the. It gets very confusing very quickly. So I think if you're just watching, whichever version of the, these movies you watch. Um, if you're just watching it one time, there's no way that you're going to leave and know everybody's connection to the family, right? I I just don't think it's possible. And I think, you know... I mean, I
2: think it's possible. I don't know. I think I've got a pretty good handle on it.
1: Yeah, but you watched two movies... (laughs) That's true. ...which are basically the same, and then presumably you did some amount of research for this podcast. Yeah. So, I mean, but, like, comparatively, you know, I feel like The Hobbit... Hobbit's... It, it had a lot of trouble having you remember who all these dwarves are because there's and twelve dwarves. They probably
2: felt like they had to follow the source material. Yeah. 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 Oh well, I mean Well. <laughs> except for let's put Legolas in there, so I don't know.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, like, you know, who knows what they were doing. But I think you're right, you know, you get up to a certain number of characters and I think it, it can get really difficult. But I don't think it matters specifically, you know, knowing okay, what was Judy Dench actually to the murder victim
2: but I think if the interrogation scenes are the heart of like understanding their connection then let's spend more time in them which well, means we need to have less of them
1: no I think for each interrogation scene I think like you can follow it as its own scene right like in the moment you know what the relationship is and I think that's really all that matters you know and I don't you know I don't know, maybe the the murder could have happened earlier in the story, and then you'd get a few more minutes each for for each interrogation. Something like that. I don't know. Um, but I, I also think that it's fun to get Cassetti uh, to have like scenes with him and see what a fucking asshole he is. I think that's important, too. So, I, you know, I think if you're saying you could make a longer version of this movie...
2: No! 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 Just... Maximize the time that matters.
1: I don't know. I don't know. I think like it. I think the 74 version I mean, I think both versions did well with their time, you know
2: Yeah, well, all right Well, let me hit you with the other thing that I would do with the um, With my new version right and this is inspired from the 74 version and what we liked which is it's more clear that they're sort of Scrambling to to cover their tracks for what they thought was going to be the perfect crime because mm-hmm. there would be no witnesses right since they all did it um and that is, there's a couple of red herrings that are present in both uh, both movies, like there's a red kimono that's been worn, there's, been a, there's an extra conductor's uniform, and it was more clear to me in the 74 version that these were things that they had hastily put together um, in order to either present it to the police when they got to the station, and then they started presenting these things to Poirot, And I would like to get a little bit more of that desperation and bumblingness. like make it a little bit more clear, like, oh, this was a red herring just because we were trying to get you off our trail. Like, if you're going to present something like the red kimono, like, make it explicit at the end that 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 was nothing. Like, be like, oh, that was just this character. We were hoping you would, you know, go for it. And maybe that's me wanting more explanation than I really need to get the story, but if you're going to present me with... Even a red herring. I want to understand why it was there.
1: All right. No, that 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 uh, that makes sense. And the red herrings were very confusing. And maybe that was part of the intention. But it it was it was confusing for for me as a viewer. Um, I was going to ask a sort of uh, a hot question. Okay. At what point, if this is remade, at what point would you consider? Updating the time period Ooh. would that be a hard never? Because like I feel like instinctively that's what we want to say, but like actually thinking it out, how much longer are people going to know like what the idea of like this dispossessed Russian princess is? Or like <laughs> there's sort of references to British India and to the militaries of the time, and there's sort of we didn't even talk about there's sort of uh, anti-Semitism. Undercurrents mm-hmm. uh, in in a lot of a lot of the way that people viewed the crime um, and just European politics in general, I suppose, and that's all fine. I don't think you need to necessarily have a firm grasp of any of that, but it can be a little distracting. Like I know people that you know when they when they're watching old movies, and it can be it can just be really distracting if you don't really understand the time period that it's set in. And then there's all these other things going on. There's so many characters in this movie. There's like 15 characters that are all very important to the plot. You know, at what point does it become too distracting that it's set in this very specific interwar period?
2: I think you could absolutely put it in any time period, location. I mean, cuz I know that there's there's movies we'll be covering on this podcast that get totally Changed in terms of time period. And I think with a mystery like this um, surrounding a crime as horrific, I think, yeah, you just need a couple of quote unquote strangers until all the connections are revealed who just happen to be stuck in a place that they can't leave until the crime has been solved, you know? And a snowbound train is one option, but I think you could absolutely come up with a modern setting. So, my answer is right now. But you know, I can't think of any particular setting that I would find more compelling.
1: You don't want it in space.
2: Okay, I definitely thought about space at one point in everything that you were saying. <laughs> so yeah, I think you could take it there, but that would be a whole genre bending thing as well.
1: All right. Well, I think that's about it. I was just gonna. I was gonna add the only director that I could think of that I could see doing a really good job remaking this is Ryan Johnson who directed Knives Out because I think like it's Mm -hmm. also something where you know obviously it's so inspired by by these types of murder mysteries but uh, something where there's there's sort of a sense of justice in what's going on more Um, than
2: just solving the crime yeah exactly more than just solving
1: the crime and it's almost actually the same where Daniel Craig's character figures it out and just makes the decision that what he sees as justice is, is something different from maybe what he should ethically do and uh, just goes ahead with it but it's not really about Daniel Craig's character, it's not about the person solving the crime and it's not about even the crime itself, it's about everything else that's going on um, so yeah, if they do uh, Murder on the Orient space express and ryan johnson could could maybe do it
2: great choice yeah i'm on board all right thanks for listening
1: thank you